I'm Ayanna Contreras for Vocalo. Recently, I spoke with director Elegance Bratton in advance of the release of his feature film debut, The Inspection, starring Jeremy Pope, Gabrielle Union, and Bokeem Woodbine. Rites of passage have the ability to make or break a spirit, or even the ability to define it. For the film The Inspection, director Elegance Bratton bravely mined rites of passages from his own history, both his transformative time in the Marines boot camp as a black gay man during the Don't Ask, Don't Tell era, and an attempt to mend his fraught relationship with his estranged mother. The result is a heartbreakingly beautiful portrayal of triumph over adversity, as Bratton described it. The New York Times called the inspection a lyrical, wrenching look at basic training, while Vanity Fair called the film a promising debut, proclaiming that Elegance Bratton has arrived. The film opens at theaters in Chicago on November 22nd. The inspection was also a selection for the Black Harvest Film Festival in Chicago, where I first met Elegance. The last time that I saw him, he was resplendent in a chunky black sweater, Prada boots, and a silver Telfar hat. And I was in a cute but staid navy blue 1950s wiggle dress. But I knew for this meeting, I had to deliver some fashion. What is this you have on? It looks it looks vintage. Oh, of course. Yeah, it's like a whole little drop waist wool thing with a little like scarf tie thing. I love, I love. She's such a lady. Oh. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Okay, so I'm so happy to talk to you again. Me too. I'm happy we ran into each other again. This is this is good. We need, we need to do this more often. For sure, 100%. So since we talked, what has been happening in your world? Wow. Well, I've been to more cities <laughs> since then. I've now gone to St. Louis, San Diego, New York. And I'm in LA doing press, so I've been traveling a bunch. Um, what else has happened? That's interesting. Oh, we're about to release the movie uh, this Friday, November 18th. So we're building up to release, and that's kind of crazy. My actor, Jeremy Pope, was on Jimmy Fallon last night. He said my name. I literally screamed that my <laughs> name was mentioned on Jimmy Fallon. Uh, um, uh, yeah, Gabrielle is doing a bunch of press. The other actors are doing a bunch of press. So. I'm starting to see the culmination of months and months of work, really years and years of work as the movie kind of emerges to the public consciousness. And that is just, I mean, it's, I'm mostly excited about it. I'm not, I'm a little nervous. Like, of course, I would, I just don't know how to do this without being a little nervous about the reaction, but I'm super encouraged as well. It's been amazing. I mean, that's the thing, right? You, this is your debut feature film, right? And it's, Big. I mean, like, it's kind of like a lot of people's debut feature film is not on this level immediately. Like, it's going to be at, like, the AMC theaters, which is a big deal. It's a big deal, you know. Um, I think it's also a beautiful, beautiful representation of something that's so close to you. You know, there's so many autobiographical elements to the film. So I guess that might, scaffolding, right, that might add an extra layer of stakes Oh, yeah. I mean, the fact that it's based on my story, I mean, it's tough because, like, I'm always conscious of, I don't want the ticket-buying audience to feel like it's so heavy, right? Because there's a lot of levity in this movie. At the same time, though, what you brought up is heavy for me. (laughs) Because when I was homeless, I was kicked out of my house when I was 16 years old for being gay, and I spent 10 years homeless. 
to tell you, and, and mind you, home, to say homeless, to say unhoused is a catch-all term for all sorts of abuses, degradations, erasures, silencing, all sorts of things that you have to endure while you're living as, you know, one of society's untouchables. So that when it was happening to me, I really, really felt worthless. I really, really felt like because my mother couldn't accept me for who I am, there was something wrong with me and therefore I deserved what my life had become. And it was, my life was not worthy of celebration. My life was not worthy of contemplation that my life was meant to be lived in secret. So to put this moment in my life on screen and to have it play nationally and internationally in all these festivals that we closed the New York Film Festival, we opened the Toronto Film Festival, we closed the London Film Festival. Sure, as a director, as a career director, this is an, a moment that I'm so grateful for, but as a human being, to have proof that the shame I was carrying, I didn't deserve to have audiences of people buy tickets to experience this life that I thought made me untouchable. It's just really transformational. And I'm very, very grateful to be, to have lived through it, to have survived it long enough to have this moment of triumph. The movie is about triumph over adversity. And I get to say I'm experiencing that triumph over adversity in my, my real life. And I'm just very grateful to God that it turned out like this because most of the people I came up with, it did not turn out like this. So yeah, I, I have, I always say when I, 20 years ago, I was in a homeless shelter, literally. And I said a prayer for today to happen, you know? And I didn't know it at the time, but God had already said yes. I was already on my way to getting here. So I'm just very grateful. Yeah. So this film, it it to your point, it captures this moment when like stepping out of homelessness and into the armed forces, it's the Marines. Um so there were some people, there have been people who have thought that this is a pro-armed forces film. And to that, during our talk at the Black Harvest Film Festival, you were talking about choices. Like this is like, it's not so much that this, it's pro that, but you had a limited amount of choices to actually be able to change this, where you are at in your life. And that was the choice that you made. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. Um, you know, this is not a pro or anti-military film. It's a pro-troop film. Um, as a person who my life got to a very desperate situation, and like, and I and I want to preface this by saying that like every I tried everything I could do, everything I could try, possibly think of doing before joining the Marine Corps. You know, you you dozens, if not hundreds of dead-end jobs working in restaurants and working at fast food and trying to save up money to get the first and last and the security. And it's just never going to, it was never, ever going to happen with those jobs. Um, at every point when I tried to bring myself out of homelessness as a civilian, I was met with reject rejection and ostracism. 
as a black gay man, I feel like I occupy that liminal space in a supposedly colorblind society, one that wants to wish racism away, but one that is also refusing to engage with the specificity of queerness. So you're a stranger in a strange land, ultimately. And I found myself in a homeless shelter at 25 years old. And I called my mom and I asked her if I could come back home. And she asked me if I was still gay. Of course, I said yes. And she suggested I join the military. I was not happy about that. It felt like she was saying, you could be blown up. I'd rather you be blown into pieces than be gay in my house. I went back to the shelter that night. I took a look around that room and realized that most of the men in that room were black men. Most of them had been in that room much longer than me, been homeless much longer than me. And I had to ask myself if this was my future. My spirit said no. So when I hear people kind of critique the film, first of all, art is meant to be critiqued. And one thing that is ha not that's happening is that no matter how people feel about this film, whether they love it, whether they dislike it, whether they think it's pro-military, anti-military, what have you, everybody's passionate about it in every direction. And that is a dream of every artist. I don't need people to agree with me to feel like I'm successful. You know, I, I think it's important that there is a debate around what happens to poor people in this country. And there's a line in the film, right? Summarize all this where it's in the trailer as well, where French is in the van with his with Rosales, his drill instructor. And Rosales asks him, why do you want to be a Marine? And French says, well, if I die on the streets, I'm just another dead black gay man. But if I die in his uniform, I'm a hero. That's directly out of my reasoning. I had reached a point in my life where a lot of my friends died young. And a lot of my friends ended up going to jail. And the thing about it is, when you're Black and gay in America, one out of two Black gay men are projected by the CDC to be HIV positive. Eight out of, we're eight times more likely to commit suicide, eight times more likely to be homeless. Dying young, Black and gay is normal in America. It is how it goes. That is the status quo. Untimely, unjust death. So what am I supposed to do? You know what I'm saying? What is French supposed to do? And at the end of the day, I think it's valid to have critique of U.S. foreign policy. I think that it's valid to engage in a conversation about peace. I think it's necessary. Violence doesn't really solve anything. You know, however, this movie is not about that. This movie is about one man's journey to self-acceptance. And as much as I have my critiques of this world, of, of, the, of, of the world that we live in, it's just that. I think it's kind of like crazy to me sometimes that people are like, well, you know, their movie is pro anything. If we live in a world where Black gay men, their lives, their deaths don't matter unless they put on a uniform, how isn't that a commentary? on both the military and the society at the same time. My goal as a filmmaker is to bring the audience to a place they can never go without me. There is no safe place for me in the world. And this is not a safe film for you in the audience. This is a film that is meant 
to spark a conversation between right and left, to bring people together who would never, ever be in a room. And I'm grateful for my time in uniform. I appreciate the fact that like the Marine Corps is the only team I've ever signed up for that couldn't deny me. And, and prior to being in the Marines, everything denied me. So yeah, you know, for those who bristle at the idea of the military providing this transformational change in my life, you know, they're entitled to their opinion, but this movie is about boot camp. It's not about the war in Iraq. <laughs> they're not in war. Right now, they're in a place where they get to actually form intimate connections with one another and connections that they're gonna remember and appreciate the rest of their lives. And that's that's the tone that I chose to tell the story in. Yeah. One of the things you brought up just now was your mother and how she's sort of like a specter over this whole movie in terms of just the the character in the film, but in real life as well. Yes. Um, One thing that you mentioned when we were speaking last was that she wasn't able to see the film. Mm. Um, And yet at the same time, you felt as though the film itself was like sort of tying up some feelings of... Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about like sort of how this film is in relationship to your relationship with your mother that was never really resolved fully? Yeah. I mean, well, it's interesting you use the word specter because from the time I was 16 to the time, to the time she passed in my forties, she was not a real concrete presence in my life. She was, at a certain point, the negative voice in my head that made me feel like I could never get anything in life. You know, if there's anything I can say to the listeners at home, be careful what you say to your kids because they'll repeat whatever you say to them in their heads their whole lives. And you can really slow up their progress by filling their heads with negativity, you know? Um, and then when I started to stabilize my life, you know, I, I, I guess this question kind of dovetails into the casting a bit, but I, um, I got a chance, I was initially stationed in Hawaii and I got a chance to be restationed in New York and I took it. And my mom called me up when I got to New York and she was like, Oh, you think you bad? You think you a filmmaker? Okay. Why don't you come to your little sister's uh, elementary school graduation and film her graduation and show me what you've got. I get to the graduation, nobody knew my mother, not the teachers, not my sister's classmates, nobody knew my mother had a son at all. And that was really, really painful for me. And I ended up uh, in that moment deciding to become a filmmaker for real now. Like I refuse to be erased. I refuse to be avoided. You cannot ignore me. I will be on TV, I will be in the multiplex. People will talk to you about me, which is one of the reasons why Gabrielle Union got the part. Because I knew for a fact that my mother, even if she didn't want to talk to me, if Gabrielle Union is playing her in a movie, someone's going to tell her about it and she's going to watch it, you know? And I wanted it to reach her. And unfortunately, my mom, you know, was killed like a few days after the movie was greenlit. So, you know, I never got that chance, but I'm very grateful to Gabby because she brought my mom back to life and gave me a possibility and access to closure that I never would have gotten from my mom, you know? 
My mother is the first person to love me completely. She's also the first person to holistically reject me. She was a complicated woman, but at the end of the day, she's a part of the reason why I'm here right now. You know, when I was a kid, I used to wake up and she would say, the first thing she said to me in the morning is be a credit to your race. She would play Martin Luther King speeches in the house and uh, C.L. Franklin sermons and um, sometimes even make me recite them, right? So there was a huge investment she had in helping me to become successful. But what I've come to realize is you can't give somebody something that you haven't been given. And my mother was a single black mother, teenage mother in the eighties. She was opinionated, she was strong. And we come in a, we're in a world where those qualities in black women are very often seen as negative and black women are silenced. And if you know the answers to the question and no one ever gives you the chance to say it, that could drive you crazy, you know? No one ever gave her the unconditional love that I was asking for. So she couldn't give it to me. One thing you brought up with that, and thank you for being so open with that. One of the things that you brought up um, just now was um, Gabrielle Union's role in this. Mm. I know she spoke to Vanity Fair and was talking about this particular role. And people have been saying that this is a role that's going to make folks look at her differently. I mean, she's always been a, a wonderful actress, but to really go really push yeah. to capture this character of French's mother, um, which in essence is your mother, but obviously there's some fictionalizations. Sure. My question to you, though, is what was her role behind the camera? Because I know she was a, a producer, That's but right. she was more than that to the making of the film, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it was kind of cool, actually, because as an executive producer, she's kind of sitting at the top of the whole business, top of the whole production in a way. So from the logistical side and also the creative side, she's kind of got one foot on each in that title anyway. But then being one of the main actors in the piece, I found her to be really, really helpful. Like she's, I, I consider her to be a mentor and a friend because she has so much experience. So... Not even like, I mean, sure, there was things that happened between us, actor and director, you know, she was very adamant about making sure that Inez was a three-dimensional person as much as I was and making sure that this wasn't like, you know, a revenge piece, right? That we, we weren't casting her as a villain per se, but more so exploring her complexities as a human being. So I don't want to make that seem slight. That was a major thing she contributed, but on another level, she was looking at the script as a producer and like what can actually be pulled off in the time that we have. And those types of conversations were really helpful to me in imagining, one, imagining the, emo the, the essence of the emotional intent first, but then secondly, the logistics of how that thing will be filmed. She was really helpful in terms of like, remember we were shooting in the prison scene and the cinematographer and I, we're having a different AD. We're having difficulty figuring out where to place the cameras in order to get all of the shots we needed. And Gabrielle just kind of like in uniform took a step and was like, became the producer. Was like, actually, I think you should put A cam here, B cam there. I did it on A, B, C, and D project, and it always works. And I was like, okay, let's do that. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. And she was really open to me calling her and asking her for advice. You know, just little things like. For instance, when I started working with Jeremy and I wanted to get into the rehearsals, I would call, I called Gabby. I was like, how do you do that? 
because I had never done it before. And she just gave me that insight. So, you know, being behind the scenes, I think, I think, I think the fun part about this next phase of Gabby's career, Gabrielle's career is going to be seeing how she expands upon this and the public getting to know her as a producer and as um, a creative producer, I think is going to be really exciting because she's so smart and she knows movies and she knows art. Like she has this ridiculously cool collection of fine art that, you know, obviously she's smart. She listens to her books, but until you get to spend time with her, you don't realize like she's like the real deal. She's a cultural leader, full stop. And I'm excited for the public to see more of her prowess in that capacity. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, for this particular film, you were really blessed with an amazing cast of characters in general, including my personal favorite, Booking Woodbine, and Jeremy, who was amazing in this movie. You know, I mean, the amount of communication and the emotive nature of what he left unsaid, I think, mm. was super notable. Huh. Um, yeah. Yeah, he's, I mean, Jeremy's a gifted, gifted performer. Um, you know, when you, when you like, I don't know, it's weird. I remember I was bringing up Michael Jackson because people, he's a very triggering name these days. But for me growing up, he was like the example of what a superstar is and everything else was comparison to Michael Jackson. And you see Michael Jackson on camera talking and he's so quiet. It's like mouse-like, right? And then as soon as that light gets on him, he's like, the most famous, vibrant person that you've ever seen. Jeremy has a similar kind of quiet, loud quality as an artist where when you meet him, it's very humble, it's very unassuming. Like he kind of, he doesn't really, I mean, he's got perfect posture, but it, his energy feels like he's slapshing it away, you know? Um, and then you kind of, and, and that's the tone you're talking through the scenes with, with him. And then once that camera is set up, once it's called action, he harnesses all of the energy around him and within him, and he's literally incandescent. And to watch someone turn that off and turn that on so effortlessly was just awe-inspiring. It's like the eighth wonder of the world to be in the presence of. Bo King, you know, and, and mind you, with Jeremy, before I move off of Jeremy, you know, Jeremy, like, what was important to me in casting that role was the authenticity of having a Black queer actor playing this role an out Black queer actor. Um, because, you know, as a Black gay man, we don't often get to be the heroes of stories. We're kind of the accessory to the hero, the handbag, if you will, to the hero. And we live in a world where, you know, for Black gay men, it's, it's kind of hard for us to, to come of age, you know. And Jeremy and I would talk often about what it would have meant to us to have had a character like Alex French when we were 15, 16, 17 years old. So his phenomenal gifts as an artist, his authenticity as a human being, his leadership qualities as the top, he's, you know, he is our leading man, you know? However he handles things, it's, it's going to trickle down. And his awareness of that and his commitment and discipline to holding that space on that set, which is awe-inspiring. Every day I was impressed by him. Now, Bokeem, honestly, we were looking for a while for laws. Like, like months and months, you know, maybe a hundred different audition tapes for this character and some really notable actors since some stuff fit and they were fantastic. 
I'm a 90s kid. I grew up in Brooklyn Woodbine. You know, Brooklyn Woodbine, like Dead President was my movie. I've seen that movie like 40 times. I thought his performance in life is like just so, so, so good, you know? And to me, like, it's like, you know, Harvey Keitel, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Bokeem Woodbine. He's that kind of actor to me, that New York kind of actor, you know? So apparently what I heard is his agent had gotten the script and given it to Bokeem. Bokeem read it and liked it. I got this in a text. And as soon as I got that text, I texted everybody at 24 and Game Changer. I was like, we're done. We don't need to find anybody else. We got Bokeem. And we just ran with it. When you meet Bokeem in person, he's a gentleman. This man is like refined scotch. You know what I'm saying? Like he's just like a, a, a full kind of essence of what a, 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 the, sh- the chivalry and the, the manners and the tailoring, like everything about him just screams refinement. And that was a really um, pleasant surprise. I mean, you just don't know people until you know them. So to spend time around Bokeem, you know, he was a mentor to me as well. Like, I just, just in terms of, like, how to carry myself as an older man, I, I would look at Bokeem and, like, take notes and, and, and make try to bring some of those qualities into my life. So I admire this whole group deeply. Yeah, absolutely. The film is titled The Inspection. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I don't believe in spoilers, but there is a culminating scene where there is a um, military inspection at the end of boot camp. But at the same time, there's a really pivotal moment with French's mother in French mm. Mm. that, f- from my eyes, looked to be an inspection of another sort after yes. this, this um, transformative moment that you talk right. about. Um, when you titled the film, what were you referencing specifically? Um, there's a couple of things. As a Marine, inspection is a part of life. Uh, just as an example, if you're in your barracks room and say you're a private and a corporal shows up, the corporal theoretically is inspecting your room already, right? Pre- the presence of a higher ranking person means that the inspection is underway. Um, and I excuse me and I thought that um it was interesting to me because I grew up in my own version of the national tell in my household and I was always kind of being compared inspected against other boys and men right and I come to realize the reason why I excelled so much in the military is because I was used to the idea of other men looking me up and down to determine whether or not I was man enough, you know, gay, straight, what have you. Like, my name is Elegance. You know what I'm saying? Like, any room I've ever been to, everyone has assumed that I'm gay. And they're right. <laughs> you know? So that that assumption means that anytime I walk into a room that people are expecting me in, they are inspecting me. They are trying to see if I measure up to the name in some way, shape, or form. Will I be as flamboyant as the name suggests? So on and so forth. In the Marine Corps, the inspection is how you get promoted. It's how you get your rank. It's how you um, qualify for your weapons and all that kind of stuff. So I started to see like this overlap between like, like when you look at it, like from the lens of say like Simone de Beauvoir, who wrote the book, The Second Sex, she says, girls are not born women. They become women, and then it's a socio-political process that informs that transformation. 
I believe the same thing to be true about men. And the Marine Corps is kind of like, you know, the Harvard of masculinity. And each one of these men in this film, like the movie begins and French thinks, oh, I'm going to fail because I'm gay. I'm going to be the only one who can't live up to this. Slowly but surely as the story unfolds, he realizes, and the audience, I hope, realizes all these men have been given an impossible task of being a perfect Marine, of being a real man. And in that space where you fall short is where your brothers come in and lift you up. So that's why it's called the inspection, right? It's the idea that we are always being asked to measure up to an impossible standard. We're all looking at each other up and down, changing our bodies, changing our minds, changing our language, just so that we can be seen as respectable, just so that we could pass through. I wanted to, to, to evoke that spirit through the title. Congratulations. I actually am going to buy a ticket to see the film again in the theater. Exciting. Yay. So thank um, you. Yeah, I appreciate you. I appreciate you too. And I'm definitely going to bring Bay out to Chicago at some, once it gets warm again. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> it's like snowing. For, it's snowing for real. Yeah. It's snowing now? Just a little dust. Oh my God. It's really beautiful. I mean, you. I, I, I'm in LA now. I'm like, I don't need four seasons anymore. Just, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'll watch. I'll watch a Christmas movie to see some shit. That's fair. That's fair. But I get elbow length gloves though. Like, come on. Well, that's worth it. Well, one thing that you will not play with is a possibility for winter and fashion. That's right. Winter is the moment where you can look your most dramatic and just like fabulous. Yeah, because it's true. You have layers. It's like you got many. I, points of fascination, many places for the island land, you know? So maybe I do like winter then. Maybe I like winter. You can, just a little taste of winter. You don't need the whole thing, the whole slog. Yes, yes. So. All right, well, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate you too. We'll talk soon. Wait, right, bye. Cheers. I'm Ayana Contreras for Vocalo Radio. <laughs>